to, but you don't look sick. And this episode is not going to be as emotional and gut-wrenching as last week's episode, or at least it shouldn't be, I guess, maybe for me, because last week was a lot to divulge. Um, It was thoughts and feelings that I had never said out loud probably to anyone besides Chris. It's definitely things that had built up over time. I really didn't feel a lot of those things in that moment. This is like looking back and reflecting and where I am now compared to where I was, you know, six, seven months ago. And so that was a lot to come out, but I'm glad that I did it. The response has been great. So many of you have emailed me or messaged me saying that you have felt these same types of feelings, whether it's cancer related or not. So I love that. I love that we can connect on that level through these types of conversations. And for this episode though, I really want to talk about the actual bilateral mastectomy. So for many of you, if you are not even interested in this, if you haven't gone through it, or if you're not going to go through it, I can understand where you're like, I don't know if I want to sit through all of this. Um, But I am going to talk about the surgery itself, preparing for the surgery, what it's like going through the surgery and then recovery, and then things that happened to me after the surgery that I was not even remotely prepared for. Um, So that's kind of the the outline of this, of this episode. Um, so I had my bilateral mastectomy, um, February 9th of 2018. So really not that long ago. Um, very much fresh in my mind if, if I think about it too much, but then also it's crazy to think about how far I've come and where I am now. And just the incredible thing that is the human body. Like I can't even believe that, I got through that surgery, especially, um, I had finished chemo, I think three weeks before I had my surgery. So even just to rebound from chemo and then go straight into the surgery, like I'm just sitting here like, wow. But preparing for the surgery, um, I spoke with my nurse navigator who she had gone through breast cancer and she has just been the biggest resource for me. And I feel like I can talk so openly and casual with her and we've connected on so many other levels that are not related to cancer that I immediately um, called her and said, what do I need? What do I need at home in order to get through this surgery as easily as possible? Um, Chris had taken off six weeks for my surgery. So he was going to be home full time, not having to go in or check in or do anything military related at all, which was such a blessing. Um, And so my nurse navigator, basically said, you know, get some button-up shirts or zip front jackets because you will not be able to move your arms. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. She said, even if you just use your husband's shirts or his jackets or something, but just be prepared to not be able to move your arms. So I'm like, okay, like I I can do that. I, I went home and I think I went on Nordstrom and I was like, ordering all these Adidas zip-up jackets and Nike zip-up jackets, just anything I felt like I would want to wear that was comfortable. I still wanted to feel like me. So even though I did reach for Chris's button-up shirts, sometimes I still was like, you know, I still want to feel like me. I definitely, I went out, you know, relatively early or soon after my surgery. Um, you have tons of doctor's appointments still. So, you know, like a couple days after my surgery, I still had to go back into my surgeon's office. I had to see my plastic surgeon. I still had to go in for, um, 
you know, her septum treatments every three weeks. So I was still going to be leaving the house and I felt like I still wanted to look like myself. And that may not go for anyone. There are probably tons of people listening to this that are like, F that. I was not even thinking about what I looked like. Now, I'm not saying that I did anything else. It was very hard to put on eyebrows when you can't lift your arms. But I just, as far as like clothing wise went, I just wanted to be so comfortable. I also went to H&M and got a ton of just their basic plain like sweatpants because I had my surgery in February. So it was still pretty cool out. Um, so I wore just a lot of sweatpants, like, you know, zip ups, um, and stuff like that. Um, the reason you're going to be doing that is yes, you can't move your arms, but also I had drains and I had four drains. So I had two on each side. The drains are bulky and the tubes are so long and you kind of have to wrap them up and you have to pin them to things or you can get, I didn't do this, but I know that they have, you know, like drain bras or they have like a drain belt or they have even they, I don't know who they is, Google, but you can search for anything where you can like drain, drain storage. Um, and there's shirts and jackets and all these different kinds of things that can help you out with that. I didn't do that. I just pinned my drains to my surgical bra and I kept it moving. The other things that I want to tell you to kind of be prepared for and to have at home are lots of pillows, an extreme amount of pillows. I bought one of those like back brace pillow things, but that was so not comfortable. I ended up using like eight to 10 pillows and just building like a pillow wall in my bed where that is where I would sleep. That's where I would just lay. I would sometimes move to the couch, but even then I moved pillows with me to raise, to elevate my arms. And then you, there's no way in hell you're going to be laying back because you can't get back up. So you kind of just build this wall to your comfort level. Um, and you sleep, you know, basically sitting straight up with your arms elevated. Um, and it's, you're kind of like sleeping in a recliner position. If you have a recliner, that's probably pretty great. You can probably just stay in that for the five to six weeks of recovery. Um, so lots of pillows. Um, that was huge for me. The other thing is cleansing towelettes. So you can't, depending on your surgeon and people I've talked to, every surgeon is different. Even my breast surgeon and my plastic surgeon are very different with how they deal with after surgery dressings and drains and everything. So, um, you can't shower for the first, however many days while your, um, while your bandages are still on. So cleansing towelettes were like a lifesaver. I could, Chris could, you know, kind of like wipe me down or at least like wipe my armpits. So I didn't smell like a cloud of BO walking around. Um, I was able to like wash my head. Like I would stick my head in the sink and Chris would wash my hair for me. I didn't have a lot of hair cause I was just done with chemo, but like my little peach fuzz, he would wash for me. Um, and then I would like sit in the bath and just shallow water to just be able to get clean. Um, and that was also just like super relaxing, even though it was excruciating to get in there. And I mean, it was just the pain level is insane, which brings me to my next point. Fill all your prescriptions before your surgery or while you're in surgery, go have your spouse or your caregiver or a friend or someone go fill all your prescriptions. So you have everything at home. You don't have to worry. I can tell you right now, um, 
I knew right off the bat, I did not want to take any pain medicine. I wanted, I've never taken a painkiller in my life. Um, and I sure as hell wasn't going to start now. So I was adamant that I was like, I'm not going to take any of this stuff, but because I'm, I mean, I'm not the smartest person, but I'm also not like insanely stupid. So I wasn't, if I needed to have that pain medicine, if I felt like I couldn't get through it, I wanted to have that at home. So I filled all the prescriptions that my doctors gave me. Um, you'll be on an antibiotic. You'll probably start that a couple days before surgery and you'll continue that um, while you have your drains in um, just to you know fight any infection or just to make sure that you don't get any type of infection. Um, so just that's just a huge thing. Fill all your prescriptions, especially because after the, you leave the hospital, you don't want to make a stop. Um, you know, you, it's uncomfortable to sit in the car. The seatbelt's uncomfortable um, when you get in. So just eliminate anything that you have to do and just get it all done beforehand. So fill your prescriptions is huge. Um, so the day of the surgery, my dad actually came in town. My dad really wanted to be there for the surgery. Um, and he, I feel like this was a point for, he had come to chemo before with me and that kind of stuff. But I could tell that this was definitely somewhere where he wanted to be as supportive as possible. And I loved having him there. Um, we couldn't get a babysitter for the whole day. And, you know, if you've listened to all my other episodes, I'm a little crazy and paranoid when it comes to a babysitter. I only trusted our one babysitter and she could only come for like half the day. So my dad and Chris were basically going to like split their time at the hospital. Um, my dad took me, I had to be there, I think at like six o'clock in the morning. So my dad ended up picking me up really early. We went to the hospital and Chris did all the kids stuff. And then he kind of waited until halfway through and then him and my dad switched. But so my dad went to the hospital, which I feel like for him was so nerve wracking and so emotional. I felt so bad for him because I was like super upbeat that day. I was laughing. You have to figure that I had been in that hospital. I'd been hospitalized so many times and in the ER that I really just knew a lot of people. So I was just talking to everyone. And my dad, I think that kind of, you know, calmed his nerves a little bit was to see that I wasn't that nervous. And so I went, you know, you go in and you get your IV and you do all of that and your doctors will come in. They'll kind of mark you up. My, my plastic surgeon came in and he marked, um, where he wanted my breast surgeon to make the incisions based off of my tumor and based off of, um, the best chance to get a good result as far as like aesthetics and matching one breast to the other, all that kind of stuff. So my, my plastic surgeon came in and did that. And then my breast surgeon came in and he kind of signed off on the incisions that my, my plastic surgeon wanted to make. And he said, you know, yes, this is, this will be perfect. And my breast surgeon and my plastic surgeon, they work together very well. And they also work together a lot. They pretty sure they're good friends outside of the surgical room. So, um, I loved their dynamic, um, when they were in the room together and then they just, and they knew that what I wanted overall, which was great. They were on the same page for that. So my breast surgeon came in, he signed off on everything. And then because I had to, because I had a lymph node that was involved, um, I had to go in and have a sentinel node 
mapping done um, because when when they go in for my bilateral, they were going to do a sentinel node biopsy, which a sentinel node is or sentinel nodes are the first few lymph nodes where your tumor would drain to. So your lymph nodes are in your armpit. Um, well, you have lymph nodes everywhere, but the main ones for this surgery are going to be in your armpit. So I had to go in and have um, sentinel mapping done or a lymphatic mapping to pinpoint the sentinel nodes so that when my surgeon went in, he could easily locate them and then remove them. Um, the mapping is so weird. I didn't even know this was coming. Like, you know, I had, I knew that they were going to take my sentinel nodes out in surgery to test them, but I had no idea what the sentinel mapping was or anything like that. So the sentinel mapping is they inject small amounts of radioactive fluid um, close to where your tumor is. Um, so my tumor was right near my nipple. So they injected three, um, like syringes. They're very small, but three syringes of this radioactive fluid right into my nipple. Um, no numbing or anything. And the burning that came from that, I can't even tell you. I was like, it was just so awful. So the fluid then travels to the sentinel nodes and um, they'll wait like 15 minutes and then they will scan you to see where the flow of the radioactive fluid went um, and they'll take pictures of it and then they will give those pictures to your surgeon um, and that that acts as like a, a map in surgery so that he can exactly find the nodes, the ones that need to be removed. There's like no guessing or anything like that. And really when they go in there, they don't want to take all your lymph nodes. So you have sentinel nodes and then you have um, axillary nodes. And your sentinel nodes, there's usually only a couple. So like three or four, maybe two or three. And so those are the ones that they're going to remove. And it's not a huge procedure. They can go in and they can get those nodes through your surgical incision. So from your bilateral, they don't need to necessarily go in through your armpit. They can get those first few that they need. So when they did that, they they wanted to pinpoint the node for me that had shown up, um, you know, with residual disease um, from an ultrasound when I was done with chemo. So they went in and they pinpointed that exact node and they stuck a needle right in it. Um, and then they made this little like cup thing and they put it over there. So I had to like keep my arm up until I went back for surgery. Um, because there was just this needle sticking straight out from my armpit. My dad almost passed out when he saw this whole thing. Um, but I just thought it was so weird. And I'm like, this is not anything I've heard anybody talk about before. But I guess, you know, whatever they need to do to get in there and get what they need. So finally, I was rolled back for surgery. Um, my surgery took seven and a half hours which nobody was really expecting. Um, you know, they had kind of said that it was going to be like anywhere from like four to five, just depending on when they get in there. Um, usually it takes like an hour and a half per breast. And then my, my, um, plastic surgeon was going to take two hours, but it can all, it obviously like it varies so much and person to person and case to case. And so I was back there for seven and a half hours, um, which was crazy. And my whole family was like freaking out. Chris and my dad had swapped positions at that point. So when I woke up from anesthesia, Chris was in the room. 
Um, I'd never been under anesthesia for that long in my entire life. My first surgery I ever had was my port placement. So I guess, I mean, I remember some of this, but Chris, Chris took some video and he had told me, but I woke up like a raging bitch. Um, I was just like, what are you doing here? Why? Like, what is going on? And the nurse came in and said, you know, we can give you some more pain medicine. And I said, no, I said, I don't want pain medicine. Why are you giving me like, I was crazy. And I guess somebody was in the hallway talking on their cell phone, but they were talking on speakerphone. So I could hear obviously them and their conversation. And I was like yelling out, like, can't you put your headphones on or something? Like, I just woke up from surgery. Like there's a cancer patient in here. Like, I guess (laughs) I was so crazy. And Chris was like, I didn't even know how to calm you down. Like you were just raging. I guess what did calm me down was Chris gave me um, my phone and the kids had sent me um, like all these little videos and messages um, like, mom, we miss you and all this stuff. And so that really like, I guess that really just brought me back down to a level of normalcy. Um, And then Chris left for that night to be with the kids and I just stayed in the hospital. I mean, really, I didn't care if he was there or not because I just slept the entire night. Um, and they come in, the, the nurses come in, you know, every few hours to check on you and everything. And you, um, like I had a catheter still at that point cause I couldn't get up and walk. Um, and they come in to check your drains and to milk your drains and to measure the fluid that comes out of your drains and all that kind of stuff. I woke up like bright and early in the morning and, I didn't know, oh, I guess I should mention also when I had my bilateral mastectomy, I also had two hernias fixed. So my plastic surgeon went in, um, I had no, I I knew I had one hernia. I have, I've had it since I think I was pregnant with Pierce, but, um, it never like posed any threat. Like it was, um, like above my belly button. It didn't hurt. Nothing ever happened. But then I had, when he was checking on that hernia, he was feeling around. He said, you know, you have another hernia like close to that one. And he told me, you know, we, when we go in and do your bilateral, why don't we just go in and fix that too? So you don't have ever have to go in for an extra surgery. And at the time I'm like, yeah, knock this out. Two birds with one stone. Absolutely. Sign me up. That was the dumbest thing I've ever done. When I woke up in the hospital from my bilateral, you can't use your upper body. There is nothing there. Like they have just carved out everything up there. So you have your arms hurt, your armpits hurt, everything hurts. And so you can't use your upper body to stand up. So you have to default to your abs, to your core, to try and move around and get up. Well, stupid me decided that the hernias needed to be fixed. So I tried to sit up in the hospital bed using like my core and I was just like, oh, like instantly I'm like, this was so dumb. This was so dumb. I didn't even think to call a nurse, but all I knew was that I wanted to get up and get dressed. So I started moving around um, and they had removed my catheter. So I was like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get myself dressed. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I hate staying in the hospital, you know, and they had told me that, I could stay in the hospital definitely for through the night. And then I could stay a second night depending on how I was managing pain. 
So when I woke up, I was like, I'm just going to go get dressed. So I, (laughs) I stupidly like made my way into the bathroom. I brushed my teeth and I got dressed. And when I came out, my, a nurse had opened the door and she was standing there and she was like mildly freaking out. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, why are you out of bed? And I said, I just wanted to get up and get changed. Like I'm ready to get out of here at the second my surgeons come and sign off on it. Like I'm ready to go. And she's like, no, no, no. Like you need to lay down. You know, we need to help you all of this stuff. I said, no. And they kept offering me pain medicine and I kept saying, no, like I'm not taking any of it. I'll take a Tylenol, you know, if I need to, but I'm not going to take anything else. So, um, the next thing, you know, my dad walks in and he's like, what are you doing? Why are you out of bed? My face was so swollen. My lips were swollen because I guess when they pulled out, um, you know, like the breathing tube or whatever they have in there while you're in surgery, um, like the tape and everything that they had on the side of my mouth, it had like burned the side of like, you know, just like a, almost like a rug burn, you know? So my lip was all swollen and half of like the side of my face was swollen. So my dad was like, what happened? Like what's going on? I said, I'm fine. I just want to get up. Like I don't, I just want to go home. And my dad's like, I don't think that's a good idea. I take it easy. Is this normal? He kept asking the, he kept asking the nurse, is this normal? Should she be up? But here's the other thing. When they close up your incisions, they leave a numbing agent in there. Um, and that numbing agent lasts, I think they say like up to three days. So even though, yes, you're in an extreme amount of pain, you're not in like the full amount of pain yet. Cause they expect you to be taking your prescribed pain medicine as needed. Um, so that you're not really, you don't really feel the numbing wear off because you're at least, you know, at that point taking pain medicine, but I didn't really want the pain medicine. I just... The other thing was, is, you know, they had explained to me the effects of the pain medicine. Obviously, I've never taken a pain med in my life. I had four completely natural, unmedicated childbirths. I never took anything afterwards besides maybe a Tylenol. So I'd never taken anything. I'd never felt like not super in control. The other thing was, is they were like, you know, with pain medicine, it can constipate you. And So I was like, oh, like that's the last thing I want is to be like constipated with the hernia surgery and all of this other stuff. Um, I just didn't want to feel any worse. I don't know. I kind of felt like I'm pretty good at managing pain. So I was just going to manage the pain. That's how I felt that morning um, as well is when I woke up, I was just like, okay, yes, I'm in an extreme amount of pain. Yes. But is it manageable? Yes. So then I kind of looked at the nurse and I'm like, all right, when can I get out of here? My dad was just sitting there like in disbelief. Um, and I think he was texting Chris, like she's lost it. She's really, she's really crazy this time. Like she wants to come home. And I think at this point it was like 7.45 in the morning and my doctors weren't going to show up to do their rounds until eight o'clock. So I said, I'm, I'm really thirsty and I just want to walk around. I can't sit back in that bed. So let's go find some coffee. And my dad was just like, you know, he's like, oh, just, you know, Kelsey, I, (laughs) I need you to stop. And I wasn't hooked up to any IVs or anything because I wasn't getting pain medicine. So I was free to go walk around. 
So I was like, let's go find some crappy hospital coffee. So we're walking around um, and we did like one lap around. We found some coffee, but then they didn't have any creamer. So one of the nurses, she's like, come over to the nurse's station. You know, we will give you some creamer. So we kind of made a loop. I went to the nurse's station. I grabbed some creamer. And then I was, as I was walking back to my room, my plastic surgeon walked in and he did like a double take. And he was like, what, uh, Kelsey, what are you, what are you doing up? And I said, I'm fine. Can you let me go? <laughs> And he was like, oh, I need to check like everything. And so we went into the room, he checked on everything and he said, well, how much pain medicine are you on? I said, I haven't taken anything. And the nurse sat there and she confirmed, she said she hasn't taken anything. And he said, are you sure you're okay to go home? And I said, yeah. He said, well, let me call, um, your other doctor, my breast surgeon and see if he is okay with you going home. And then, you know, we'll get your discharge paperwork together. He called my surgeon and my surgeon still was like, are you sure? Should I come down there? Maybe I should check her. Um, like they, I think they just all thought I was crazy, but I really genuinely, I was the same way after I had like given birth to all my kids with Odette. I think we were in the hospital, a collective nine hours from start to finish. Like I was like, get me out of here. I don't like to be in here. I don't want to eat hospital food. I want to go to the bathroom in my own toilet. I want to lay in my own bed. I want to hear the sound of my crazy kids fighting. Like I don't want to be here. So that was the same for this surgery. Um, And so, you know, I was like, okay, just let me go. And so my breast surgeon talked to my plastic surgeon and he said, if you think she's okay to go, then okay, she can go. So Um, my plastic surgeon, he showed me like some stretches that I need to do. Um, you know, a couple days after surgery, he showed me, they showed me how to take care of my drains. They showed my dad how to do it. And then obviously for us to be able to show Chris, you go home with a log and these little cups to measure how much fluid is coming out of your drains. And you need to be measuring those every few hours, recording it. Um, and that determines on when you'll get your drains out is when the fluid is under a certain, you know, milliliter or whatever it is. So that's kind of, that's kind of like surgery for me. Um, I felt like it was really quick. I felt like that was the, not the easy part, but that was the easy part in a sense of like mentally, I'm like, okay, I had, I've gotten through this. Um, then when you go home, I mean, I, I, it was hard because my kids just couldn't come jump all over me. I felt so bad for them. They had never really seen me in pain like that because, you know, you just, you walk around like with these like Frankenstein arms cause you just can't move your arms. Um, and you're so swollen. Um, you know, it's just really hard to do things. I think I just sat and watched a lot of food network for days on end. Um, and then Afterwards, a couple days had gone by and we were waiting for the pathology results to come back. And finally, my breast surgeon called and he said, you know, I have good news and I have bad news. And instantly I was just like, come on, like throw me a bone. And he said, the margins of your breast tissue came back clear. So we have gotten everything, um, you know, out of your breast tissue. He said, but one of your lymph nodes came back with residual disease. And I was just like, what? And here's the th- the crazy thing is, is, um, we kind we kind of knew that, but we kind of didn't expect that because it wasn't seen on an ultrasound or any type of scans. And then when you're in surgery, your breast surgeon will take out the lymph nodes and he'll test the tissue or the lymph nodes right then and there with like an ink test. And it's like a smear test. So he can get a pretty good idea 
before they even get to pathology, um, whether or not there was residual disease. And he did the test in the OR and he came out and thought, and it, or he knew in the OR that there was no residual disease. So he came out and he said that he said it to my dad. He said it to Chris. Um, you know, everything looks good. Of course, we'll wait for pathology, but right now everything looks good. And so that was alarming to come back and have the pathology say there was residual cancer in one of the lymph nodes. Um, because we definitely had thought we had gotten it all. And the other reason for that is if while he was in there, if he would have tested those nodes and it would have shown up on that test that it was positive, he would have gone in and done a full axillary node dissection, which means he would have gone in through my armpit at that point and taken out all the lymph nodes in my armpit. But because that lymph node didn't pop up and it didn't, you know, raise any red flags, we didn't do that surgery. So he had called me, I think it was like on a Tuesday, and he said, you know, the pathology's back and, you know, you have residual cancer. Um, and he sounded defeated on in that phone call because he was just like, you could tell that he felt bad that it didn't show up and that he had kind of given us the all clear and we were all my family, me, my friends, we had all felt like, yes, like we got through this. And then, you know, he said, I, I need you to come back in because we need to talk about your options. And I hung up the phone and I was just so angry. And it was so hard to tell Chris that news um, because, you know, he had even, he had so much built up, you know, with the surgery and we just kind of felt like we wanted it out. And then to hear that not only did the cancer or the chemo not work entirely, I mean, it did its job. It did a great job. It shrunk my tumor um, by more than half. So the chemo did what it was supposed to do, but to know that there was still cancer in my lymph nodes is just scary because it, it's been in there. It, it had lived through chemo and it's, you're just kind of sitting there like, did it spread? Could it have broken off to anywhere else? Is there a microscopic cancer somewhere that we're just not seeing? Um, so it raises a lot of what if, so it definitely took this you know, we were on like the highest high because we had finished like the two really hard treatments, chemo and surgery. Um, and then now we were just kind of left with like, what the fuck? So we went in to see my surgeon and he said, you've got two options. We can go back in next week. So I had just had a bilateral mastectomy and he said, we can go back in next week and do a full axillary node dissection, which means they would go in, make a new incision through my armpit go in and um, take all of the remaining lymph nodes out from my left arm. Um, so he said, we can go in and do that. The risk of that is lymphedema. Um, he said, you have a 25% chance of lymphedema. He said, he told me that he thinks my, um, he thought that my chances would be even lower than that. Um, but he said, that's a risk. He said, the other thing that you can do is you we, there's a clinical trial present. And if you remember in Chris's episode, the caregiver episode, um, we talked about us having to be faced with a decision at one point um, that was kind of like not life or death, but essentially you feel like that's what it is in that moment. Um, so we were presented with a clinical trial that is a new study um, where instead of doing a full axillary node dissection, they would do extra radiation um, concentrated on those lymph nodes. 
Um, and this was an advanced clinical trial, so it wasn't just like a brand new thing. Um, it had been going on for many, many years. The, um, so they said you can go into this clinical trial. Um, you'll be randomized into a group. One group will get the surgery. One group will get the, the extra radiation. Obviously, it's a toss of a coin. You don't know which group you're going into. So when they had presented that to me at the table, I automatically was like, I'll do the clinical trial. Like, cause I don't even, I don't want the surgery. I knew how much pain I was in. And even days later, I was just, the pain was getting better and better. And so I was kind of like, I don't want to be knocked down again. I don't want to go through another surgery. I had just come out of surgery. So I automatically was like, yes, I want to do this, you know, this clinical trial. Chris, on the other hand, was like, absolutely not. Like you're going to go in and you're going to get these lymph nodes out. Um, the standard of care still to this day is to go in and do a full axillary node dissection. So for my breast surgeon asking him like, well, what do we do? He was saying, you know, standard of care or, you know, if protocol essentially would be to go back in and do a full axillary node dissection, get all of those lymph nodes out and test them. But the, the future of breast cancer or the future of cancers in general is to be less invasive with surgery. And so that's why this clinical trial is going on. The clinical trial was very promising, but there were so many factors and it, it really was Chris and my, my family and Chris's family who researched, you know, cause we, my doctor had called me on like a Tuesday. We went and met with him on a Thursday and we were deciding whether or not to do this surgery the following Friday. And so I only had like about a week to make this decision. And so my doctor said, you know, take the weekend and go home and research as much as you possibly can, you know, talk to whoever you want to talk to. We're going to set up an appointment for you to go um, to see the a radiology oncologist who can give you more information about the clinical trial and the, radi- the radiation portion of it. So we did all of those things, but still it was kind of left up to us. And I was at a loss. Like I was so stressed. Chris was so stressed because we kind of felt like if we don't do the surgery, are we leaving cancer in there? There could be cancer in these other lymph nodes and your lymph nodes are like the highway to the rest of your body. And so we were kind of like, we have to do this surgery. But then the other part of me was like, I don't want to live with lymphedema I don't want to go in for another surgery. Like if, you know, lymphedema is something that it's not, a, it's not curable. So if, you know, and it's, it, the cases for lymphedema are varying. So you can have a very small case of lymphedema, but then you could have a really bad case where your entire arm is swollen and your hand and you lose that function of using that, that part of your body because you're just in so much pain and there's just so much swelling going on. And there, I just didn't know. I was completely at a loss. And so I went in and we met with the radiology oncologist and, um, you know, we, we kind of looked him dead in the face and said, what would you do? And he was like, you know, he was like, I don't know, honestly. Um, and he wasn't giving us clear cut answers. The other red flags that kind of popped up with the clinical trial were there was nobody under the age of like 56 in that clinical trial. So here I am, I'm 30 years old. So, I mean, If I was older, I could understand maybe going into the clinical trial and taking my chances, but I was kind of like, we don't have a 10-year survival rate on this. Like, there is not all of this information on where are these women 10 years 
after they either chose to do the surgery or they didn't do the surgery. We don't have that information. So do I really want to take that gamble? The other thing was that my lymph node, so it was, we caught this lymph node by doing a sentinel node dissection, but it it was not the sentinel node for me that still had residual cancer. It was an axillary node connected to the sentinel node. So that was the other thing. In the clinical trial, these were all women that had a positive sentinel node. I didn't have a positive sentinel node. I had a positive axillary node. So that kind of changed everything for me too. Um, and for Chris, really, because he was just like, all of these um, indicators, you know, or all these markers in the clinical trial are not adding up to your case. And so we tried to do as much research as we could um, to finding a case where there was a young female um, who had residual cancer in the axillary node, what was her survival rate with extra radiation and versus surgery, and there was no data on that. So I was really conflicted. I went in um, that next Tuesday, I went in for my Herceptin treatment. And I was at a loss. I was talking to everyone. I talked to my oncologist and he wasn't giving me clear cut answers. Um, you know, everybody was just kind of like, we don't know what to tell you. This has to be something you have to make the choice and then you have to live with that choice. So nobody can tell you what to do. I had my Herceptin treatment and I was sitting outside waiting for Chris to come pick me up. And this is when it's like one of those like God moments. This is like when the universe is talking to you. It's just one of those weird things that happen. And I had told you about the man that I met outside the oncology office um, that had a lasting impact on me. Well, this is something that happened to me again. Um, I was sitting out there and I, you, I could, you could tell I was mentally defeated. A woman walked up to me um, and she, at first she walked right past me and then she stopped and she backed up to the bench and she said, and this is exactly, I swear to you, this was what she said at first, she said, I never stop and talk to anyone when I come in to the oncology building. She said, but today, she goes, walking past you, there was something that compelled me to come back and talk to you. And I looked at her and I said, that's so weird. And she said, you know, what are you here for? And I said, you know, I breast cancer. And she said, oh, I'm a breast cancer survivor. And she said, you know, I'm seven years outside of treatment. And I just looked at her and I thought, oh, yes, like, that's wonderful. I also had noticed that she was wearing a compression sleeve on her left arm. And um, she asked me like where I was with treatment. I told her that I just had a bilateral mastectomy um, and I had explained all of those things to her. And um, she said, oh yeah, I had, um, I had a bilateral, you know, seven years ago and um, I'm doing great and everything's great. And I said, well, I noticed that you're wearing a compression sleeve. And she said, yes, I had to have an axillary node dissection. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh. And I said, and you got lymphedema from that? And she said, no, not from the surgery. Not at first. And she said, I had my axillary node dissection. And she said, I didn't end up getting lymphedema until two years ago. She said, I was power washing my house. And just that repetitive motion of using the power washer, um, She's like, it just, it, in the next couple of days after doing that, my arm just started swelling and swelling and swelling. And she said, and so I do have a mild case of lymphedema, but now I just wear the compression sleeve. And I said, well, to be completely honest with you, I'm conflicted right now. I don't know whether or not to do that same surgery in fear of getting lymphedema or just any other side effect that I'd have to live with for the rest of my life or 
doing, um, or doing like the extra radiation. And she, you know, at that point she had sat down with me and, um, she looked at me and she said, you can live with lymphedema. She said, you can't live with cancer. That right there solidified it. I was like, okay, I'm getting the surgery. I'm going to do it because this woman, you know, she, she has lymphedema, but she's, she's just wears the sleeve. She's perfectly happy. Um, you know, she's still living her life. It's not a horrible case of lymphedema. So even if I got a mild case of lymphedema, like I could still live with this. And she said, my number one goal was to see all of my kids graduate high school. And she said, and now I'm seeing all of them graduate college. And that was it for me. So I called Chris um, and I said, you know, I'm going to run over to my plastic or my breast surgeon's office because it's right across the street. I said, I'm going to run over there and talk to him real quick. Um, And Chris said, okay. So I ran over to the office and um, thankfully my breast surgeon like had an opening. And so I said, you know, can we talk about the surgery and whether or not we're going to do it on Friday? And I said, I'm just so conflicted. Um, I said, because I, at one point, uh, one part of me really wants to help the breast cancer community. Like I really want to help the research and the science that goes into this. And if women don't have to have this invasive surgery, then I want to be one of the people that helps them to do it. And he said, that is the wrong way to think about this. He said, you don't need to be thinking about anybody else right now besides yourself. He said, I can tell, I can see it in your face and your eyes and your mannerisms that this is weighing so heavily on you. I said, it is like, I feel like I can't breathe. Like I'm suffocating in this decision. And, um, and he said, well, let me make the decision for you. And I said, okay. And he said, you're going to do the surgery. And I said, okay, thank God. Like he threw the clinical trial paperwork up in the air and it just like went everywhere in the conference room. And he said, just do the surgery. You're like, it's going to give you so much more peace of mind. And I said, okay, done. Like that's what I wanted to hear because this whole time in treatment, your doctors tell you what to do. This is the plan. And you don't ever deviate from the plan. Like you just, you know the plan. And every time you go into the office, you know what's coming. But for this, they were leaving it up to me and they were leaving it up to us to me and Chris to make this decision. And we just couldn't do it. We were sitting there waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. So finally my breast surgeon told me what to do and it was fantastic. Like I was like, yes, I felt so confident in doing the surgery. So I went home, I had a couple days to kind of prepare. And then, um, we were going back in for the axillary node dissection. So again, it was like that next Friday or that coming up Friday. It was, I think it was exactly two weeks from my bilateral mastectomy. I was going in, um, this procedure was pretty straightforward. Um, they went in through my armpit. They made a six inch incision under my armpit to go in and get all of it out. Um, this is how I knew I had picked the right team of doctors because my plastic surgeon, who was not even a part of this surgery, my breast surgeon was really the only one that was going in and doing it. My plastic surgeon came there the day of my surgery and he sat through this two hour surgery. He wasn't even a part of it. He was just making sure that when my breast surgeon was done and he, you know, had closed the incision in my armpit, that everything still lined up on my left breast from my mastectomy. Like he sat in the OR for two hours just to say, okay, it looks good after the incision was closed. Um, when my breast surgeon had told me that when I woke up from the surgery, I was just like, I felt, I felt so blessed, like in that moment to be surrounded by these people who 
whether they really, whether it's for their own self gain, you know what I mean? Like, because he didn't want to have like a bad surgery like on his conscious. Um, but just for them to be there and to support me like that, I felt like this was the decision that was supposed to be made that I needed to come back in here for the surgery. So afterwards they ended up taking out, um, about 18 lymph nodes, something like that. Cause I had 21 removed in total. So, um, they took out all those lymph nodes and they sent them off for pathology. I can say that the axillary node dissection surgery was more painful than the bilateral mastectomy. Um, it's, it affects your entire lymphatic system. It like throws everything out of whack. So I just felt awful. The pain in my armpit was excruciating. It felt like there was just like a big tennis ball in my armpit. It was so bad. What made it even worse was they put two more drains in for that. So I just have drains coming out of everywhere from at this point. Um, and the drains are worse than anything because you can't, you just can't get comfortable with them. Like you can't lay on your side. It's hard to lay on your back because they pull, it pulls on the drains. It puts pressure on your sides. It's awful. Um, and so that was really hard during the axillary node recovery as well, but I just felt so much better than um, knowing that the surgery was done. Um, the really hard part was after the surgery, um, I went home like that very next. I stayed the night in the hospital again because my surgery was later in the day. And so I woke up and I got up and I walked around. I went and got my coffee, kind like the same kind of routine. My plastics or my breast surgeon came in and um, he came and sat on the bed with me and was just like, we were just chumming it up, talking about Great Danes, talking about dogs and talking about all these other things. And he said, all right. He's like, you're, you're, you have homework. And I was like, homework, what? And he said, I need you to start stretching right away um, because you don't want to get all the scar tissue built up in your arm. Um, and that's what's called cording because it's really, really painful to try and stretch that back out. So he said, I need you to start stretching your arms, just raising them up above your head um, slowly, just do those kinds of things. I couldn't lift anything still. Like I was still recovering very much from my bilateral at this point. So this just added on like the recovery time. He said, the other thing is I need you starting tomorrow morning. You need to get up every day and start huffing and puffing. And I was like, what? I am not exercising. Like you, um, like that is like some type of torture tactic. I'm not going to get up and just start walking. And he said, you know, do you have a treadmill at home? And I said, I do. I haven't been on that thing in years. Um, and he said, I need you to get up. And every day you need to get up and try and do 15 minutes on the treadmill. And I said, why? Like, why would you do this? I've got drains coming out. This is awful. Um, and he said, because we need to train your body to move the lymph fluid. Um, because all of the lymph fluid would be going to kind of like the place where there was the most trauma, which was in my armpit. Um, and so he said, you need to train all that lymph fluid and redirect it um, so that it doesn't go to the armpit and your arm and just sit there and build up and it will just pool there because it has nowhere to go. It doesn't have the lymph nodes on that arm to flush that lymph fluid. So you need to get up every day and start huffing and puffing, getting your heart racing, um, you know, or just get your heart rate up and so that your heart is just constantly pumping that lymph fluid and redirecting it to your other lymph nodes. He said, it's very important. And so I said, okay. And so, you know, I told, I relayed all that information to Chris and Chris was the one who had to keep me accountable for getting up every single day, getting me onto the treadmill. And I walked at such a slow pace, but 
I was still huffing and puffing because that little amount of exercise was more than my body has had in months, you know, because I had just finished chemo and all these other things. But that was one thing that he felt was super important. And it was super important for my mental state too, just because I was just in so much pain. But each, you know, each step, I was like absorbing that pain and I was getting through it. So every, the 15 minutes at first were awful and I felt like I'm going to pass out. There's no way I'll make it. But then slowly but surely 15 minutes, you know, increased to 18 minutes, increased to 20 minutes into 25 until I had gotten up to 30 minutes where I was on the treadmill every morning, just walking. Um, sometimes, you know, I would increase the incline if I could, or I would increase, increase the speed if I could, but, um, I felt so powerful. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to get my body back to, you know, a strong state. And I also didn't want to gain a ton of weight because (laughs) I was basically just sitting, you know, I was doing my 30 minutes in the morning, but then I was basically just sitting on the couch because I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't vacuum. I couldn't lift a dish. I couldn't drive at that point. Um, I don't think I started driving again until I was like five weeks after my surgery. So I just kind of sat there and I would eat and that was kind of it. So I think exercise definitely, um, definitely helped a ton. And all of this, I should mention that I did decide to do reconstruction. So with my initial bilateral mastectomy, I had tissue expanders placed in, which is just such a weird thing um, in itself. The tissue expanders are sewn into your chest wall. So they're very uncomfortable. Um, They're not round and soft or anything like an implant. They're square um, and you have to go in and get them filled. So very soon after your surgery, you'll start going in to get them filled. And I had to do radiation. So I had to go in and start getting them filled just a couple weeks after my axillary node dissection, because before I could start radiation, they wanted me to be filled to the size that I would be when I did my exchange surgery, um, which comes after radiation. But I really wasn't expecting to have breasts when I came out of surgery. So after I went through everything, I I never really looked at my breasts or was able to take those bandages off until after my axillary node dissection because they wanted everything to kind of be in place. So um, I was still in a surgical bra and I kind of just stayed in that. And then when I would shower, I didn't really see my scars or anything. They were very much covered up. Um, And so I remember being in the bathroom one day when I had gotten the okay to remove the bandages and go ahead and take a full shower. And I just had Steri strips on my incisions and I was so nervous. Um, I made Chris come in the bathroom with me and I made him remove just the bandages that were on, that were covering the incisions. And then there were Steri strips. There was just a lot going on. Um, and I said, I can't do it. I need you to do it. I was just so nervous. You don't know what to expect. Um, And, you know, I had told you that I saw this book with all of these, um, you know, with all these pictures and the, the scars and everything just didn't line up. Like I was so nervous about seeing the result. Um, and so Chris came in the bathroom and I shut my eyes so tight and I was clenching my fists and he was nervous. He was like, I can't do it. Like maybe you should do it. And I just, we kept going back and forth and I just said, okay, just do it. 
and he took the bandages off and I turned and I looked in the mirror and I was so pleasantly surprised with what I saw. I mean, they had filled my tissue expanders just a little bit, I think with like 60 cc's, um, after surgery. And so there was, it wasn't just skin. I mean, I thought I was going to be just completely flat chested, which I was okay with. Um, I didn't know the whole fill process at that point yet. And so I was just really preparing to see like these weird tissue expanders in my skin and just to kind of look like a mutant is what I thought. That is not what I looked like at all. Um, it, it looked like I had breasts and that was kind of weird. Like I wasn't expecting that at all. So when you do have the tissue expanders, um, they do, I mean, literally when you come out of surgery, there is nothing in your breasts. Like it is just skin. So I could see every little divot of these tissue expanders. I could see where they ended. I could see that they were square, where the little points to the corners were. I could see everything. And then I could clearly see this little port. And that's where you get your tissue expanders filled is in this little port. Um, and you go in and your plastic surgeon just jams a needle and syringe through your skin into the port. He finds it with a magnet um, and starts to fill right there then and there. It is such a weird process to go through because um, you can see your skin stretching like while you're laying there um, and you have absolutely no feeling in your breasts, or at least I didn't. So he didn't even have to numb me to stick the needle in the port because I couldn't feel anything. Um, but that was such a that was just such a surreal moment to look at what I would be looking at for the rest of my life, just to see it, to come to terms with it and be like, okay, so to have that moment with Chris is something that like, I'll just never forget. It's kind of like the birth of a child. Like you'll just never forget the impact that it has on you. So that was kind of like the end of the chapter of surgery. Well, at that point, I mean, I went through another surgery much later on, like the exchange surgery. But after that, um, it was kind of just getting ready for radiation. Um, my body was given a little bit of a break and so that my tissue expanders could be expanded. I was not going big by any means. And I'm very grateful to my plastic surgeon for being, he is very conservative at what he does. So he was not like, oh, let's try and overextend your skin. Um, I wanted to kind of be as natural, have it look as natural as it could be. It wasn't going to look so natural because it's not like breast reconstruction where you have this tissue and this implant or anything like that. Um, so I wanted to just get to what I felt really fit my body. So that was not big at all. I think we expanded my tissue expanders to 180 cc's. So not big by any means. Um, and so we had to kind of wait for that process to happen. And then they give your body a break because going into radiation, it affects your skin so much. And since I was only getting radiated on my left side, it was really only going to be affecting that breast and that tissue expander and the skin on, you know, that side of me. And so I was given, I think almost a month, like three weeks to a month to just finish recovery. And I wasn't even fully recovered, but then you just jump right into radiation. So I had met with my radiation oncologist. He kind of gave me the rundown and then I just was getting prepared 
for that next step. Um, and in next week's episode, I'll talk more about radiation, kind of what I did to prepare for radiation, um, as far as the routine that I went through, um, the products that I used, all of that kind of stuff. If you want to know more, you can always find tons of information on my blog, the blog, pardon my French, under the breast cancer tab. Um, I lay out, you know, things that I used, um, products that I used, or just more thoughts. And those are, those are thoughts that happen in the moment. So you can always, you know, reference there. And if you have any questions about surgery or anything like that, feel free to always message me. And I am so thankful for you guys listening, um, every week and just continuing the conversations with me about the topics that I talk about on the podcast. So thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.